The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. That is the number to get a hold of Savan directly and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So we'll get to a bunch of things as it pertains to slips and falls, some emails. Uh, but first, the week that was, you always have a couple cases for me. That's right. Let me tell you about two cases, uh, two um, interesting uh, scenarios that I've dealt with in the last week. Mm-hmm. Again, we do these case studies uh, to tell people out there what they should expect in these situations and what to learn from these uh, uh, cases if, if they ever find themselves in those situations or know someone who is in that situation. Uh, so I had visited the home of a very nice couple in their 50s this past week. He's an electrician. She works as an administrator at a small company. They were involved in a fairly bad accident back in October. Uh, He broke his right arm. And here's the problem. Uh, He's been working for over 10 years for a very good employer. He's an electrician. For 25 years, he's worked as an electrician. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, the the injury is fairly significant. I mean, this guy deals with live wiring. I mean, he he can't go and work uh, and and, uh, support his family. Now, Interestingly enough, before they spoken to me, they uh, they went and spoke with five other law firms. Literally, they went to each law firm's office and, uh, in a way, interviewed those lawyers. And what they told me was really quite interesting. They haven't told me any. They, they didn't tell me anything that I haven't heard before. But, Obviously. but you know, it really brings it home when you have somebody right in front of you who's telling you their experiences just in the past few weeks. Uh, and one of the things that they told me is that as soon as they had mentioned uh, to some of these lawyers, some of these law firms, that they were in fact. Uh, speaking with other lawyers to get as much information as they could, Mm -hmm. it was a huge turnoff for those lawyers. So in other words, they're sitting across from the lawyer in their boardroom, uh, getting this information that they need uh, and to decide if they want to start a claim for compensation. Right. And they're saying, you know, thank you very much. Uh, You know, by the way, we are going to be meeting with another lawyer tomorrow. The, the, the look on the faces of some of these lawyers, they just basically shut their uh, their, their, their uh, notebooks uh, and, and it almost seems like they were disinterested. You know, if you're coming to me and, and you're going to shop around, you're not ready to sign right now, why are you wasting my time? That was the approach. Wow. I'm that, taking my that, ball and I'm going home. It, it's, it, was, <laughs> it was absolutely amazing to me that they were telling me that some of these lawyers and law firms acted this way. As far as I'm concerned, if I'm speaking with someone, by all means, I will tell you, go get a second opinion. I have nothing to worry about. You know, it's right. almost like going to a doctor. You don't, you don't expect the doctor to be turned off by you saying, you know, I, I'm going to get a second opinion. No. Some doctors may get insulted by that, just like some lawyers may get insulted by that. I don't think they should. I think people should have as much information in front of them mm-hmm. as possible. Certainly don't go to Google to try and find your answers. Speak with someone who deals in the area. Uh, now, interestingly enough, again, remember, they spoke with five law firms before I went to their home and spoke with them in person. And I had spent at least an hour just explaining how the whole process works, what you can do in terms of accident benefits, what you can do in terms of a claim against the driver that was responsible for the accident, what they can expect in terms of the process, the timelines, uh, you know, all all of that kind of basic stuff that we usually speak about on the show. And to my amazement, they said, you know, you're the first person, uh, the only lawyer really that sat down and explained everything. Every other law firm that we had visited, every other lawyer we had spoken with, sort of gave us uh, you know, their own gist of things and then presented the papers and told us to sign right there and then. And John, believe it or not, when I came to these people's home, and it took me, it took me about 50 minutes to get to their home, I had no papers with me. I never force anybody or, or even suggest to someone that they should sign on the spot. I actually want them to digest the information, 
Uh, it takes time to to understand and to think about what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, just just a very interesting contrast between the experience they had with me and that they had with those other law firms. So for people out there, if you are injured in an accident, if you are facing a long-term disability claim, if you want this information, if you are seeking this information to decide uh, not which course to take in terms of your claim, but whether or not you even should take that extra step, that next step, uh, don't feel like you, you are pressured to do so, unless, of course, there is a limitation period that, that's looming, unless you haven't done anything for two years and, you know, two yeah, more is the two deadline. Days to go, right? Exactly. And, and if, if you don't do anything, then you're going to be prejudiced because you can't start a claim. Uh, so it was a very, very interesting scenario. And, and by the way, I was the only lawyer out of all these lawyers that actually came to this individual, to, 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 to this couple's home. Uh, and, and it was amazing to me that uh, with the other law firms, uh, the law firms insisted that these two people who don't live in the area come to their offices downtown Toronto. I, I just found that very peculiar, given the fact that they are injured, and it's they want them in them their environment, right? They and want them in their Convince them before they leave. Yeah, maybe. yeah, I guess. I yeah. guess. You got a couple minutes here. Give me another one before we take our first break. So this other one deals with a long-term disability case. Um, it's a husband that called me after listening to us talk about uh, LTD. Uh, his wife has been suffering from uh, debilitating fibromyalgia and anxiety for several years, uh, and they were just told verbally recently. Uh, by by the adjuster that her benefits uh, will only continue until January 31st of next year. Uh, And that's because uh, the adjuster says she will not be considered to be totally disabled under the definition in the policy Mm -hmm. beyond that date. And that's a two-year mark date. We talked about that before. Of course, they're freaking out. Uh, She started sobbing. They literally begged the adjuster on the phone not to do it. And of course, the adjuster says, my hands are tied. As far as we're concerned, there's just not enough medical proof or medical documentation to support an ongoing uh, uh, claim for disability. Uh, and, you know, I, I told them what I tell everyone in this case, in these kinds of cases, uh, let me handle it. I, I asked them a few more questions. I determined very quickly on the phone, literally within a matter of seven to 10 minutes, that they had a claim. In fact, as we were talking and they were emailing me some of the medical reports that they had submitted to the insurance company, I, I was looking and I think to myself, I, I have no idea what the insurance company is relying on. Uh, to cut them off, but I can tell you that just based on the reports, which were very, very strong reports, there is no way that this couple, that, that this lady would not meet the definition of total disability. Right. Uh, so, so again, one of those situations where I want people out there to understand, if you are on long-term disability, uh, the insurance company is threatening to cut you off or has cut you off, uh, it, it's not as though you have no options, okay? Just give me a call. Let's have a chat. I'm probably going to ask to see the policy if you have it any medical documentation you have in support of your claim for disability, and we'll deal with it. I'll deal with the adjuster. You're not going to have to deal with the adjuster. You're not going to have to take the adjuster's phone calls, emails, any of that. I will deal with all of that. We'll take a quick break. 416-216-5910 is Savannah's number outside of show hours anytime and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Some more free information we will give you. It's called the Injury Calculator. I'll get Savannah to run through that after we take a short break. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Savannah's number, 416. 216-5910. That's when uh, you're not uh, here in studio with us. And on the email side of things, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a few of those. First of all, the injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. Give me a definition of what that is. All right. It's a beautiful online tool that we have been talking about for months. Uh, my firm had created this online tool, which is uh, unique in Canada, as far as I know. Uh, it, it's anonymous. Uh, it's very easy to use. And what it is, is it allows you to go onto that website like I said, anonymously. So you're not putting your name or any identifying information. 
and uh, you're inputting several pieces of information. When was your accident? What kind of injury you suffered? Uh, the, the seriousness of that injury? And within about 30 seconds or less, and we can go through an example, John, mm-hmm. what, what, what that database does, that calculator, is it shoots out a range, a dollar value range of the kind of compensation that you are potentially looking at for your injuries. So if you're in a car accident last year and you have back pains, the built-in back pains, and you're going to these lawyers and these lawyers are not telling you what you want to know, which is, well, what's the dollar value of my pain and suffering? Because they don't want to do that, right? They don't, they don't want to do commit that. to it. They right? don't want to pigeonhole themselves. Right. And by the way, this calculator, just so you know, is not something that I simply came out of, you know, I just created a thin air. My team went through literally hundreds and thousands of cases from across the country looking at similar cases that ended up in court and, and where judges have said, this is what the pain and suffering value is for that particular injury and that type of, of, uh, of a seriousness of an injury. And here's the range of damages that you are looking at. So, so this is based on Canadian case law. That's not to say that most cases go to court. They don't. In fact, very, very few cases out there for personal injury end up in court. Right. But what this tool does is it gives you an estimation, assuming someone else was at fault for the accident, right? I mean, if it's a mm-hmm. single car collision, you were at fault for your accident. Yeah, no, one's, yeah no, no one is going to be you know, paying you for pain and suffering. But if someone else was responsible for the accident and you have these ongoing injuries, this tool will allow you to get an idea of what it is you could potentially get for pain and suffering. Let's run through it. All right. So you go to injurycalculator.ca. You, by the way, are on your phone, so you can do this even on your phone, Absolutely. your tablet, of course, your, your desktop. I am on my iPhone, exactly. Yep. Uh, I'm going on it, and it's asking me for accident information, so I'm putting in the date. Okay. Let's say October 1st of 2014. Accident location. Let's say Toronto. How old are you? 37, let's say. What was the cause of your injury? A car accident. Who was at fault? Someone else. Did the injury affect your income? Yes, mm-hmm. it did. And then I'm clicking on continue. It's asking me, select the category category that best describes your main injury. Neck, head, back, shoulders, torso, arm, leg. No, do torso. Torso, all okay. right. Again, so, this for example. Just for example, mm-hmm. exactly. So I'm clicking on that. Now it's asking me, select the option that best describes your torso or uh, the, the torso injury. Is, is it uh, uh, to the hip, to the ribs, to the pelvis? Ribs. Ribs. Yeah, full on Rocky Balboa on this one. <laughs> <laughs> now we're dealing with a fracture or a sprain or a strain. Fracture. Fracture. Okay. Very gruesome, John. Yeah, thank you. All right. So now it's saying... your calculator. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So now it's saying that for this particular injury, based on Canadian case law, uh, you would be entitled to anywhere from $7,000 to $22,000 for pain and suffering. Why the range? Well, the range is because different injuries affect people differently. Sometimes you may have a back pain that's debilitating to you, affects your ability to earn income uh, or to do anything else around the home. For me, perhaps, it's not going to be as bad. I can go to work. I can do certain things. So courts have recognized that the same injury can affect people in different ways, uh, perhaps uh, you know, because of age, because of, of pre-existing health, etc. But it's very, very important to understand that this amount that the calculator spits out, that gives you, uh, it's only for pain and suffering. Okay, So you can have, for example, a knee injury that may assess at, let's say, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for okay. pain and suffering, but let's say I used to be a construction worker. I was making $40,000 a year. Now I can't go back to that job. I'm going to be losing, let's say, 10 years worth of income. As an example, we'll do the math, straight math. 10, 10 years times $40,000 a year, $400,000. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's as simple as that. But what I'm saying is that uh, for every injury, you have a lot of components. But one of the components is pain and suffering. And this is what this tool is meant to address. 
and and frankly, for most people who are coming to me uh, for a consultation or, or calling me or emailing me, they want to know, you know, I've suffered this. I keep suffering this. My wife is suffering from this pain. What are we looking at in terms of dollar value? It's not because they're greedy. It's because they, they actually want to know if it's worthwhile to proceed with a claim. Right. And that's a, a very, very legitimate question because, believe it or not, John, sometimes the injury is so minor uh, that I tell them, look, it may not be worthwhile for you to go ahead. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of lawyers and law firms and paralegals out there who will simply sign you up no matter how small the injury is because if they can make a buck or two at the end of the day after putting you through God knows what, they'll do it. The good personal injury lawyers out there, and, and there, are, there are good ones out there, very good law firms, good paralegals, uh, they will not do that. They will assess the case. They will figure out whether or not it makes sense uh, to have you go through the process and make sure that you get the compensation you deserve. Now, when you say based on case law, does that mean you've taken cases over years across the country and kind of put them all together and, and, and done the, the mechanics, the matrix, and that's how you got the, the range? That's exactly what we did. Exactly. Yeah. Because now all these cases are online. Uh, it, it, we have uh, subscriptions to these databases. A lot of the, these databases are available online. For example, there's a database called Canly, C-A-N. L-I-I. Mm-hmm. If you were to type that in Google, it will take you to that database. It's a free database. Uh, and you can literally uh, uh, scour through the, uh, the various cases across the country, whether it's Ontario, BC, Saskatchewan, wow. whatever. And what we've done is we've, we've spent a lot of hours assembling together a database. And as you said, uh, we had our programmer create a matrix uh, that allows us to cross-reference all these cases and figure out the appropriate range for each type of injury. Done the homework. It's easy for you to use. All you have to do go uh, to do rather is go to www.injurycalculator.ca and get a, a ballpark range if you're suffering and it's from free. any of the injuries. And it's free I mean, as it's well. free. And, and you know, it's, it's been really widely used. I'm, I'm getting these submissions all the time. And when I say I'm getting them, I mean that if you were to go on it, uh, w- w- whether you're at home or at work or on the subway and you click on all this information, I see none of that unless... Unless on the last screen, uh, you click on a button that says that you would like a free comprehensive consultation, Take it further. Cool. in which case you are actually making contact with me directly. Cool. But if you don't touch that button, I have no idea who you are or, or what you've done or what information you put in. 416 216 5910 is Savannah's direct number. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. The injury, the insurance and injury law show continues right here on Talk Radio AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM640. Savannah's number is 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get an email in just a, a few moments here. Let's get into the uh, discussion of slips and falls because, I mean, they do happen year-round, but in this type of weather, they become a lot more common and the calls go to your office for sure. So many places just don't put out enough salt or sand in their, their sidewalks and parking lots, right? So what should someone know and do if they slip and fall and injure themselves on one of these places? First of all, you should know you have rights. Uh, you have the right to be reasonably safe on someone's property when you visit it. Uh, that has to do with stores, that has to do with malls, parking lots, uh, even you know neighbors' uh, driveways. Uh, th- that's something that you have to understand that, that you, know, you have that right to be safe. Uh, and that's rooted in legislation called the Occupier's Liability Act. Right. Now, I want to make sure people understand this. Uh, there is no obligation on an occupier, like let's say a mall owner, to make sure that there is no ice whatsoever on their parking lot in February, okay? Right. It's understood that it's Canada, it's Canadian winter. Uh, you're going to have small patches here and there. The question is, did they reasonably maintain the area? Did they hire, for, for example, a contractor uh, that monitored the weather, monitored the temperatures, the rise and falls of, of uh, uh, the temperature, uh, precipitation that's going to turn into ice? So understand that you do have rights if you are injured as a result of a slip and fall on some of these property. 
if you can, if you can, I can't stress this enough, take photos of the areas where you slipped or have someone go there the same day to take photographs. Because most people have a phone now. They can just take a quick Absolutely. snap, right? A snap or, or a video or something. Now, listen, a lot of times when I'm dealing with people, they say, look, I was in absolute shock. I broke my leg. I, I, you know, I tore my shoulder. I, I wasn't yeah. thinking about that. Understood completely. But ask somebody to go to the premises, even if they get general pictures of the area to show, you know, the, the poor state of, of, of the parking lot, for mm-hmm. example. Very, very important because, you know, as, as we all say, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to say, you know, I remember that there was a huge sheet of ice. It's another thing to actually have a photograph that shows it. Uh, that could be good uh, to to uh, good enough to to nail the insurance company in the event that they argue. No, no, no. Everything was was done right. There was salt and there was sand. The second thing is this: if you fall on city property, sidewalks, for example, you have to let the city clerk know within ten business days of the fall. Okay. okay? Very very important. Within ten days of the fall, you have to make sure. Uh, actually, not ten business days. Within ten days, you have to make sure that they are aware. Uh, and you can contact us. Oftentimes people contact us on the eighth or ninth days and, you know, they haven't even retained us, but we're, we're just to preserve their rights. We will send a letter saying we've been consulted by so-and-so. We haven't been retained, but we've been consulted by so-and-so just to preserve uh, that notice period provision under the Municipal Act so somebody can potentially get compensation for their injuries. That's got to be so common. There's so many Extremely people walking common. the city and, and sidewalks. And, and John, I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they haven't done that. Uh, because they simply did not know, well, they're out of luck. Uh, they can still start a claim, but I can guarantee you that the lawyers for the city are going to raise that 10-day notice provision and mm-hmm. the failure f- uh, of the person to adhere to it as, as a bar to the claim. So very, very important that you don't want to miss that. I can't see I can't see the city, you know, regardless of how many claims are made, they can't be guilty for every one. We'd be bankrupt. Is there certain criteria that would, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and it's not just a city. It's really anybody that's, uh, where, where's a, there's a claim against uh, an entity, a company for failure to maintain the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you as the person who's claiming compensation, you have to prove that the owner or whoever had care and control of the area where you fell on that day, in particular, when you fell, uh, failed to discharge their duty. Um, and and fail to take reasonable measures, reasonable precautions to make sure you and other people are safe. So very, very important to understand that they do have that duty, but you have to prove that. And one of the ways to prove that, obviously, is through photographs or witness accounts. Uh, Very, very important. Uh, Also, very important, make sure you get medical attention fairly quickly, especially if the injury is serious. I mean, that goes without saying. Mm -hmm. It almost seems uh, counterintuitive to suggest otherwise, but believe it or not, I have cases, I have people who... Uh, just they, they just suck it up and and you know they don't go to their doctor or the. Say it won't clinic. be that bad. I'll just I'll just you know right. walk it off. Right. So they right. have no photos. They haven't uh, filed an incident report or contacted anyone on the premises to advise them of the fall. Uh, there are no witnesses. They waited for a week before going to the doctor. So now there is a credibility question. So, yeah. Why'd you wait a week? Why'd you wait a week? If it's so bad. Did it even happen? Right. Right. I mean, so put yourself in the in the position of of the insurance company who's getting this claim. You're going to be asking, what was done immediately after? Do we have any contemporaneous proof that, in fact, this person fell? It doesn't mean that if you have no photos or no witnesses that you can't prove your claim. It's just that the longer, the more removed you are from a time standpoint uh, from when uh, you fell in terms of documentation that show that you, in fact, were injured as a result of the fall, the more difficult it is to connect the dots and to show that, in fact, you fell on those premises at that time and here are the injuries. You've mentioned uh, many times in the show in the last couple of years that you have the benefit of having worked on the other side of the table for so many years on the insurance side. 
side, so you know both ends of the game. So what kind of mistakes do you see people make after they slip and fall with incidents? Well, and you know what? Let, let me just uh, uh, really focus on that for a second. I've defended probably hundreds, if not thousands, of these slip and fall claims. I've defended municipalities, so literally cities from these kinds <laughs> of claims, uh, malls, uh, uh, owners of parking lots, all that kind of stuff. So I was on the other side. And I saw a lot of these mistakes that not just people, but lawyers themselves are making. Uh, and again, primary mistakes. Uh, they don't have any photographs of the area uh, where, where they fell. Or if they took photographs, it was a week later when the temperatures you know, changed drastically. Well, you're giving me a photo 10 days later or seven days later or even three days later. Perhaps that's not how the place looked like or the, you know, the sidewalk looked like when you fell. Uh, they didn't notify anyone for days, weeks, sometimes even months. Hmm. Uh, you know, you fell in a mall and yet you didn't go and speak to uh, mall security or, or anybody in management to let them know that there was a fall. So no incident report was generated. Uh, they didn't go to the doctor or the hospital right away, which questioned, of course, the severity of the injury. Right. Because, you know, it stands to reason that if you're seriously injured or more seriously injured than just uh, a simple bruise, you're going to go and get it checked out. The, the biggest mistake that I see, uh, and I'm going to get some flack for that, is when you go to the wrong lawyer or the wrong paralegal, because really they just sit on the claim, they don't do anything, they let months and months and months pass by, uh, maybe even a year, and, and in the meantime, certain witnesses were not contacted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certain things were not done along the way to make sure that the claim is primed and, and really uh, uh, handled correctly uh, to ensure maximum compensation for the individual. So those are the kind of things that I've seen when I was a defense lawyer. Uh, and of course, you know, you do have the really, really good lawyers out there who act immediately. And the faster you act on these types of claims, uh, the, the, the higher the likelihood is that your client is going to recover what they deserve. We'll finish our discussion uh, about slips and falls, get into some emails as promised. In the meantime, that address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and Savan's number 416-216-5910. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. Savan's number when the show is not on is 416-216-5910. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here in a moment. We're going to wrap up our portion of the show with slips and falls. So we talked about uh, you working on the other side, what to do when you get a slip and fall. So who is responsible ultimately in a slip and fall case? The owner of the property, the management? Perfect question, and it's a question that arises all the time. Uh, And in fact, as a defense lawyer, when I worked for insurance companies, oftentimes I would see the wrong parties named, and sometimes Mm. you don't have the right parties named. Uh, And I just had a discussion with one of my my lawyers who's handling uh, some of these cases for me and with me in the office last week. Uh, And it's really, really important to identify who is responsible. The fact that you fell, as an example, on a parking lot in a plaza after coming out of a grocery store doesn't mean that it's the grocery store that's responsible. But it could be that it's them. Maybe they had an obligation under the uh, lease agreement with the landlord that they would take care of a certain area right outside their store. Uh, Maybe there is a winter maintenance contractor that was hired by the owner of the property. Perhaps the owner of the property has a management company. The management company perhaps had subcontracted to a winter maintenance contractor who in turn may have subcontracted wow. to a subcontractor. So, so my point is this. You as the individual who suffered the injury, you don't have to deal with it. You should not deal with it. Your lawyer should be dealing with it. Your lawyer should be doing the proper searches. And, and as a lawyer uh, dealing in this area of law, I know what I need to do, what my team has to do to, to figure out exactly who is responsible. Once we know who all the parties are, identify them by name, by address, we write to them. We want their insurance companies, all of their insurance companies, to contact us. Clearly, if you have a major injury uh, and you end up uh, at some point in the future talking settlement, 
more than one insurance company uh, in front of you is better. No kidding. If you have two, that's better than one. If you have three, that's better than two, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to make sure that all the necessary parties are there. I've had situations when I was doing defense work uh, where the lawyer did not make a claim against all the right parties. In fact, in one particular case, I remember that he excluded the biggest culprit. And the problem was that, of course, all the other parties said, listen, if we're responsible, it's maybe 5%. Like maybe we have 5% each uh, in terms of, of fault here. Uh, but, but it's this other entity here who's responsible for 80, 90% right. of the injury. And, of course, the lawyer for the injured person had to explain that to his client. And this is, you know, years down the road because he didn't do anything on the claim for all these years. So the limitation period ran out. So, you know, very, very important to identify all the parties. Every case is specific. In every case, we have to do certain investigations that the client is often not aware of, but that we do because we have to do our due diligence. So it's not one of those things where, you know, you fell at this area and I can just, oh, look, it's just outside of, uh, I don't know, Future Shop. Well, they're non-existent now, but, you know, just outside Future Shop, it's not like Future Shop is responsible. No, no, no. That's not the end of the analysis. Right. It's a lot more in-depth than that. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca is the email address. We'll get to one from Janet from uh, Newmarket. Says, my husband is on long-term disability for a back injury he had years ago. He was recently assessed by an orthopedic specialist. The insurance company sent him to, and the specialist says that my husband can return to some form of employment. The adjuster wants to talk to my husband next week, and we are very, very concerned that we they will uh, they will tell us that it'll be cut off of benefits, plain and simple. What should we be prepared for? Well, Janet, uh, thanks for writing in, and I think that uh, I, I think that this gut reaction that you and your husband have uh, is probably right. Uh, if this specialist who was hired, and let me emphasize that, by the insurance company is saying that he can return to some form of employment and then now the adjuster wants to speak with you guys, it probably means, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but probably means that they want to tell you that he can probably start a gradual return to work or perhaps even do some other type of work. Perhaps Perhaps the adjuster wants to talk to you about doing uh, a- a- another assessment, one that identifies what other types of work your husband can do. Either way, I understand that it's very, very uh, troubling. It's very frustrating. It's, it creates a lot of anxiety. Uh, John, I see this all the time when people are dealing with adjusters. And, and you know, it, it, it gets to a point where j- just the, the, you know, seeing the, the number uh, of the insurance company pop up on the call display mm-hmm. or getting that email from the adjuster creates huge, huge levels of anxiety. Uh, and and you know, people, people can't sleep, they can't eat, they can't do anything. So what I tell them is, give me a call, let me deal with it, uh, let me tell you what your options are, and if I think it makes sense for you to hire me to deal with the insurance company, and that's not always the case. A lot of times I'll tell someone, listen, you don't need me at this point. Let me give you some information so you can deal with the adjuster yourself. Unless, of course, you want to hire me right now and me and my team will be that, uh, uh, um, th- th- that go-between. Mm-hmm. I will deal with the adjuster directly on your behalf. Uh, so in this case, Janet, uh, give me a call first thing Monday morning. Uh, we'll, we'll have a chat. If necessary, postpone that discussion with the adjuster until you speak with me. I'll explain absolutely everything. I will answer all your questions. Uh, trust me, it's not like they can do whatever they want. Even if... Even if, Janet, they tell you that your husband can go back to work and both of you believe that that's absolute nonsense, that there is no way that he's in a position to go back to work and you don't know what to do, I will be able to give you the options that will allow you to then deal with the adjuster when you speak with the adjuster, unless, of course, you want me to speak with the adjuster directly. And I know we, we mention this, you know, almost every week on the show, but if they do retain you and it's been going on for some time, you keep getting phone calls and being harassed, it's stressing you out. Once you're involved, those phone calls stop. 
the phone calls stop. You do not deal with the adjuster. We deal with the insurance company directly. Uh, you're not paying anything up front. Our, our fees are, and we've spoken about that before, uh, they're contingency-based. So it's a percentage of anything that we recover for you in the future. And we can talk about that because it depends on the scenario. The point is, you're not paying anything along the way. You're not paying to speak with me. You're not paying uh, uh, for me to deal with the adjuster right now. You're not. None of that is happening. I'm simply giving you this advice. I'm simply giving you uh, this information so that you are armed when you are ready to speak with the adjuster or give you the option of having me speak with the adjuster directly. It just relieves a lot of stress. It's great, right? A significant amount of stress. Yeah. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number outside of show hours. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That's a simple email address. We'll get to more of those later in the show and we'll tackle long-term disability. When the show continues right here, the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio AM 640-416-216-5910. Simple number for a very complex guy. That's Savan's number outside of show hours and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send us an email, we'll try to get to one or two before the end of this hour. Long-term disability. So uh, you've been injured at work, and as a result, you're getting a WSIB, but you're also eligible to get long-term disability, LTD. So how do these two benefits work together? Is there a deduction? Can they work together? Very, very good question, and it's something that comes up quite often because it's not just WSAB. What about uh, uh, ODSP? What about EI sick benefits? CPP disability? Generally, long-term disability insurance policies uh, uh, contain these kinds of uh, provisions that allow the insurance company to deduct uh, any income that you are otherwise able to get from other sources of income, uh, like CPP disability, like workers' comp, ODSP, EI, things like that. Okay. Uh, very, very important because you may have several claims going on at the same time, right? You have uh, several logs in the fire, so to speak, and you want to know what the interplay is. Very important to understand how they interact between each other uh, because certainly if you don't and you recover from one, you may be obligated to uh, uh, pay, pay something to the other or vice versa, etc. So very important to understand. Generally speaking, long-term disability uh, is, is sort of the payor that says, look, if you're getting uh, X, Y, and Z from workers' comp or from uh, ODSP, or CPP disability, we're entitled to deduct that, meaning we're not paying you those amounts you're getting elsewhere. So it's going to be 100%, but it could be you're not getting a bonus is what you're saying, you, right? You're not going to get a bonus. Uh, and of course, every, like I said, every case is specific because you have to look at the provisions of the policy. It's a, it's a contract, right? The policy is a contract. It's going to contain provisions that we have to examine, and every policy may be slightly different. But generally speaking, yeah, the idea is that you're not getting overcompensation. Right. The idea is that you're getting compensated exactly what you should. So if you're getting uh, the compensation from various sources of income, they're supposed to add up to the 100%. A complete payment, yes. right, right. Let's talk about CPP for a bit. You've often said in other shows that you know people are a little hesitant to get into CPP because they figure it's going to affect their uh, long-term disability. But you've also said in the past that if you qualify for it, it's tough to get into, but if you qualify for it, it actually says to the insurance company that, look, these guys are actually believing it. They're willing to pay him. He must be very very much so injured, right? That's right, exactly. So most uh, long-term disability insurance policies contain provisions nowadays that say that you have to apply as part of your LTD, the LTD process, you have to apply for CPP disability, assuming you qualify for it, obviously. And the reason they say that is because to the extent you're approved for CPP disability, and let's say you get 500 bucks from CPP a month, that's $500 a month less than the LTD insurer has to pay you. So obviously it's in their interest. Uh, and, And, you know, of course... Our argument always is that if the person has qualified for CPP disability, and it's not easy to get CPP disability, despite what some 
uh, insurance lawyers will say, and I've had them say that to me uh, at mediations uh, across the table. They say, oh, well, you know, your, your lady is 60 years old. Obviously, CPP would have approved her. No, no, no. It's not automatic. They get, uh, applications get rejected all the time. We oftentimes have to appeal these decisions. Uh, but once you get approved for CPP disability, essentially the government has given a stamp of approval to your claim. They effectively said, we recognize that you have a very significant long-term ongoing disability. So, of course, we use that as an indicator or as sort of a, uh, I I would say, um, uh, a sword as against the LTD insurer saying, look, how can you say that this person is not disabled if the government says that they're disabled? Yeah, and they play hardball. And they play hardball, exactly. And and that's our position. I'm not saying that that would necessarily win the day, you know, if we had to go to, you know, all all the way to Mm -hmm. court. Uh, which, again, in most of these cases, you never see the light of day in court. I mean, court almost never happens. You resolve these claims. costs a lot of money. If you do get approved for CPP disability, first of all, you have that certainty of getting the money from CPP disability. But secondly, you can turn around to the insurance company and say, look, how how, how dare you cut me off or say I don't qualify uh, if the government says that I'm disabled. You mentioned cutting off. So what happens if you let go by the employer while on long-term disability? So that's interesting too. And that's a question I would usually boomerang to my partner, Lior, uh, on the employment or any any one of our uh, um, employment lawyers. That's, uh, I mean, clearly just by speaking to an employment lawyer at our firm, they'll tell you that if you're uh, off on disability and you're cut off by the employer, uh, that's illegal. That's a violation of the human rights code. Uh, and, and, you know, that would oftentimes trigger me asking one of our employment lawyers to get involved in the claim and to make sure that uh, the uh, individual's rights uh, under the, uh, the un, 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 under under employment law uh, are, are protected. And that's something that's really unique about our, our practice that we have both disability and injury lawyers as well as employment lawyers. And I've had situations where employers have threatened to cut someone off, not to cut someone off, to, to let them go. And of course, we fire a letter back saying, don't you dare. Mm-hmm. So, so they have that protection. Oftentimes, employers, once they get a letter from us and they understand that by dismissing an employee on disability, they could be facing uh, their own you know, uh, Pandora's box that they're opening and, and their own headaches, they just back off. Of course, if you are in disability, never, ever resign your employment, okay? Because once you resign your employment, then that's it. I mean, you're basically foregoing uh, w- 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 whatever severance you would be entitled to right. uh, under the common law, et cetera. Uh, but again, you know, if, if, you're, if you're let go by the employer while on long-term disability, you should be contacting us because we can help you both with the disability claim as well as the employment side. What if someone can't, uh, before we break here, I'll ask you this one final question. What if someone can't afford an insurance lawyer to fight the insurance company? Well, you can afford uh, an insurance lawyer because we're not going to charge you anything. Again, the idea is that you're not paying anything up front when we're dealing with long-term disability. Any of our conversations, uh, you're not paying for. Any any of our uh, telephone conversations, emails, my review of documents, our work for you, you're not paying. The idea is that we, uh, we work in contingency. We get paid only when you get paid at the end of the claim. So naturally, if you think about it, I'm not going to tell you to start a claim unless I think that, you know, the office can get paid. We're running a business after all. That said, I'm also not going to tell you to start a claim unless I think it's going to be worthwhile for you to start a claim. Uh, And if I think that the claim is too small, I'll tell you that, but you'll still have the option to decide what you want to do. Perhaps you want to go with a paralegal. Perhaps you want to do it yourself. But, but, you know, the point is you're not going to have to pay anything up front. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email you'll want to send the email address and we'll get to those emails or at least one of them right after the short break in the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM 640. 
The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640-416-216-5910. Outside of show hours, in about five or six minutes from now, you will be able to get a hold of Savannah at that number. And the email address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Jeremy from Mississauga wrote us in at that address, says, My wife has been on LTD, long-term disability, for almost two years, and her insurance company wrote her saying that their opinion, she doesn't qualify for more payments, but there is no way she will be ready to go back to work. And even her uh, doctor says so. We've talked to a friend who was in a similar situation. He said that there's no point fighting them and that the lawyer is going to make no sense in this case. What to do? Well, Jeremy, first of all, uh, stop being friends with that friend because that friend doesn't <laughs> know that guy what he's talking about uh, or she's talking about. That's absolute nonsense. If there is medical support, if the doctor or a doctor or doctors are supporting your wife's disability, if they are saying that as a result of X, Y, and Z, your wife is unable to return to work, uh, she's likely going to meet that test, that test of total disability that the insurance company is probably referring to. Uh, here's my suggestion to you. Give me a call after the show is over or email me. Let me see exactly uh, uh, what it is that we're dealing with. Let me see the medical reports. Let me see uh, if there's any correspondence, any letters, emails back and forth between you guys and the adjuster. I can tell you that if you are telling me that there is no way that she's able to go back to any type of work at this point, uh, then she's going to have a claim. And what they're saying, what the insurance company is saying is that she's going to get cut off uh, you know, literally within a matter of, of, of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens when that happens? Oftentimes, John, believe it or not, if I get involved before the cutoff, I can actually avert the cutoff because I can tell the individual what they need to do or what they need to say to the, uh, to the adjuster. Sometimes I can't avert the cutoff. I can't force the insurance company to do something they don't want to do unless, of course, I start a claim. And I'm going to start a claim or suggest, Jeremy, that you start a claim, your wife starts a claim in the event that she's cut off because based on what you're saying here, she should not be cut off. So to me, it's a very simple calculation. And to your friend, I don't know what experience he has or she has. I don't know what they're basing this on. Uh, I've heard other people sort of take that approach. It's absolute nonsense to say that because the insurance company has made that decision, then that's the law. No. If that was in fact the case, then insurance companies would not pay a dime on anything. Right. The reality is that they pay millions and billions of dollars, not because they want to, but because they're being forced to. They're being forced to comply with the law. And it's when you get a lawyer who deals in this area of law that forces them to do so that results get done. It's your choice. It's your wife's choice. But I really urge you to give me a call after the show or email me and and get in touch with me. And I can tell you exactly what options you guys have. 416-216-5910 is that number. We'll get to this in the last few minutes of the show. A lot of people are... uh they're hesitant to start a claim or give you a call because they have what they described as a pre-existing condition. They figure, well, how am I going to get anywhere? You know, I've, I've injured my back in a car accident, but I already had a bad back. I'm going to get nowhere. What do you think about that? Well, I think that the majority of us have some kind of a pre-existing condition. Maybe we have neck pains, back pains. Maybe we had, uh, you know, a bad knee. And because of the accident, now we have a worse knee. Perhaps we had surgery in our back five years ago. Uh, and as a result of the accident, now we need another surgery on our back. The fact that you have a pre-existing condition does not disqualify you from getting compensation. What insurance companies are looking for uh, when when they're assessing a claim, and oftentimes they'll ask for medical documents that predate by several years the accident. So let's say you were in an accident last year, John. The insurance company is going to ask for your medical documents three years back, five years back. Mm -hmm. They want to see if the complaints you had made to your doctors, to the hospital, the surgery you have scheduled, they want to see if that was going to happen or if you had those complaints regularly to the same level and frequency that you have after the accident, before the accident. So think about this way, common sense. It's a before and after comparison. Before the accident, in the one year, 
b- before the car accident, uh, did you complain about your back five right. times, 10 times, 20 times? After the accident, you've complained about it 100 times. You're now going to need back surgery. Clearly, there was an exacerbation of your pre-existing condition. So no, it does not work against you. It's, it's obviously an argument insurance companies make, but it's, a, it's an argument that they often lose. Unless, of course, they can really show that your condition before and after the accident are really the same and the accident didn't do anything. This uh, goes back to getting proper medical help and medical records and getting the proper scans yes. done and everything, right? Absolutely. And, yep. and, and it, goes, it goes back to, to uh, the fact that if you are injured, you need to get uh, medical attention and make sure that uh, you, know, you push for the investigations. If your shoulder is hurting you after this accident or slip and fall uh, you know, for months and months on end, uh, and your doctor is not sending you for an MRI, for example, you know, push for that. Pu- pu- push for more diagnostics so, so, so you can mm-hmm. figure out what the injury is, so you can figure out what treatments you need. Got about 30 seconds left. Once again, give us the, uh, the quick details on the injury calculator. So injury calculator, make sure you go to that. It's a free online tool. It's going to tell you exactly how much it is that you could potentially expect to get uh, for pain and suffering. If you've been injured in a car accident, in a slip and fall, any other type of injury, uh, it's anonymous. And really, there's no reason not to use it. And and a ton of people from across Ontario have been using it for months and months now. No obligation. It's free. You don't get contacted unless you hit that button to go carry on to you. So check it out at injurycalculator.ca. In the meantime, 416-216-5910 is Savant's direct number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show once again on Talk Radio, AM640.